In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few weeks ago, Nikki and I were in our front yard playing baseball with our kids. And I'll tell you what we did not do. We didn't have a conference beforehand saying, okay, here are the rules. Here's how many balls you get. Here's how many strikes you get. And then when you hit the ball, you got to make sure you're on to first base. And then after that, second and third and home. And by the way, we only have like half the amount of players we need for one full team. So this is going to get kind of, you know, we just, we didn't do that. We didn't make sure everyone was on the same page. What we did do, because we didn't want to lose interest, we didn't want to constantly be interrupted, we just played. We just started. And when we needed it, we set up that little tykes purple and pink tee, and the kids hit that, you know, kind of comically large barrel bat. They used that if, uh, you know, they're still learning how to hit a soft toss ball. And we, as their parents, we guided them. Run to first. No, not that way. That's third. Run to first. You know, wrong way. You know, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. And, you know, I would take a false dive and roll on the ground so that, you know, they had a chance of, you know, getting in the park home run. We reminded them. We instructed them about the rules. We encouraged them. We reconciled when somebody hit somebody else, either with the bat or with the ball, or if they ran into each other and clung heads, or if, you know, one person had a grasp of the rules and said, you're not doing it the right way, and then ran at them to, you know, claw or punch or whatever. We were there as watchmen, you could say, to make sure that the game continued to go smoothly, and we had fun. There was laughter, and there was joy, and there was love that we would not have had if we had said, okay, here are all the rules, and now let's go. And sorry, I can't help you. We're playing now. The main point here is God gives watchmen to the church to instruct and encourage and lead us as we live out our faith, as we live out our callings. Ezekiel 33, verse 7. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. Ezekiel is told that he's going to be a watchman over his people as they're in exile. Right? Their entire faith has been uprooted and more or less destroyed or dismantled. They don't have a priesthood anymore. They don't have their temple. They don't have any place to make sacrifices. Right? Their instructions from God were very clear about how their life of worship was supposed to work, and they had to bring everything to Jerusalem and the temple there. That's where God's presence dwelt. Well, God's presence had left. They'd been exiled out of Jerusalem. How do we continue to live as God's people? Amidst all their anxiety and confusion, they're still God's own. In a strange and foreign land, he still loves them. He still provides for them. He speaks to them, reminds them of his promises to them via this watchman. Think about what does a watchman do? Well, keep watch, right? That's kind of the obvious one. But that's sort of defining a word by using the word, right? They spy, they look, they examine. The watchman listens to what God says and leads the people accordingly. And this comes with tremendous responsibility for Ezekiel. In verse 8, the very next verse of that Old Testament reading, God says, if I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you don't tell them and they die in their sins, you are responsible. Their blood is on your hands, Ezekiel. But if the watchman is faithful to pass on God's message, 
and the people reject it, right? This kind of assumes that sometimes the watchman is saying things that not everybody likes. Sometimes they reject the message of the watchman. But still, for Ezekiel or whoever else is commissioned to do this, they won't be held guilty by God if people refuse to repent and die in their sins. That's on them. Friends, this is still what God is like. God has a will for how we, the church, live. He's given commands to the church. Commands to baptize in the end of Matthew's gospel. Chapter 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As regards Holy Communion, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He says, do it. In addition to commands, God has given instructions to the church. At the end of the gospel reading, when Jesus says, whatever you bind or loose on earth, whatever you forbid or permit, the same thing will be true in heaven. What he's talking about is forgiving sins. In the church, we hear the very words of Jesus himself spoken by church leaders that our sins are forgiven. Or if someone stubbornly refuses to repent, that your sins are not forgiven. And as Jesus explained, if that person still refuses to listen and doesn't listen to the church, then you put them out of the church via excommunication and pray that they return and are brought to repentance. God gives watchmen to the church. He gives pastors. He gives DCEs, directors of Christian education. And God gives you to the church. He gives you to me. He gives you to each other. This microphone is bothering me. Just a second. It's not just the people in the robes or the people with letters after their names who are watchmen in the church. We all do this for each other. We are a spiritual priesthood, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He has made us a nation of priests. We all do this for each other. Like Nicola and I playing baseball with our kids, the church is called by the gospel to walk in faith and love toward God and toward one another in this way. We don't require you to prove by some really hard to clear standard that you know the whole rule book beforehand. There's not an entrance exam to become a member of this church, to become a member of the Christian church. Instead, we just ask, like we did um, about 27 minutes ago when we were receiving new members, do you want to play ball with us? Do you hold all the prophetic and apostolic scriptures to be the inspired word of God and the doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran church drawn from them and confessed in the small catechism to be faithful and true? Do you want to play with us? And as we go on, the word and sacraments, they educate us, they encourage us, they empower us, right? There's forgiveness for our failings through confession and absolution. Where the pastor speaks in the place of Jesus, my death for you wipes away all your sin. The empty are made full at the Lord's table, which is but a foretaste of the feast to come in a new heaven and a new earth. The wayward are invited home through remembering their baptism. Jesus leads all of us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, through Sunday school, through confirmation, through adult Bible study, 
through our worship services. And for the other 167 hours in a week, I guess it might be 166 if you include Sunday school and Bible study and all of that, we love each other by serving as watchmen for each other. When we gather here, there are leaders in the church and volunteers who take on this responsibility. But throughout the rest of our lives, we serve as watchmen like Ezekiel for each other. We gently point out one another's sin as Jesus instructs us to in Matthew 18. I might feel like a confrontation, especially if, I mean, who likes being called out? I don't. I'm assuming you don't. But it's love to do so. Preventing your brother or sister in Christ from causing one of the little ones to stumble into sin feels like confrontation. It feels uncomfortable, but given the stakes, Jesus said it'd be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than cause a little child to stumble. Doing that, intervening, doesn't feel comfortable. It's not a lot of fun, but it is, in fact, love. When we've got 99 sheep who've stayed with the flock and there's one wandering sheep who has exhausted our patience. Exhausted my patience or exhausted your patience. Let's just write off that loss. We still got 99. Maybe that person will find another church somewhere. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus leaves the 99 to go and find the one and rejoices Rejoices over that one. That's love. And it is love, after all, that we are obligated to. From today's epistle reading, Paul says to the church in Rome, Owe no one, sorry, owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. In the church, Jesus Christ has fulfilled the requirement of God's law perfectly. Our sins are forgiven. Our consciences are cleansed. And we are always going to be learning how to be the church because we daily have to fight against the sin in us that is still hanging on for dear life. Selfishness and gossip and contempt and slander and adulterous thoughts or adulterous actions, all of these things that still hang on to us until the Lord Jesus calls us home. We still need to confess sins and we find forgiveness in the church. Our consciences are made light. Jesus has done all of that for us. But the call of the gospel is to be the church, to just play the game. And as we go along, make it right with each other. As we go along, let the word encourage us and inspire us and receive strengthening for our faith in the Lord's table. God gives watchmen to us. He gives gives me to you. He gives Leanne to you. He gives you to you. So we can be the church as his grace moves among us and through us. So we too can have laughter and fun and joy and love in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.